I don't want to spend a huge amount of time uh, speaking about healing as I would actually like to give a considerable time to pray for the sick because that's what I would uh, prefer uh, to do. So if you have come and you're sick uh, in any way, shape or form at the end of uh, me speaking, uh, going to just spend some time praying for you. Uh, but I'd like you, I'd like to just draw you to this story uh, found in the book of Matthew chapter 8 verses 14 and 17 and it says and when Jesus entered Peter's house he saw his mother he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons And he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. It is confession time. Uh, It is always good to clear out the way before you preach so that your sins are dealt with and then you know that God is with you. When they made the new Indiana Jones film, I was thrilled that Harrison Ford was coming back again to star in a film as the professor, archaeologist and adventurer. Now I know to you guys, he is a little bit old to fulfill this, but to me, I have just enjoyed the three films before that and I just think he's a great actor And as I've got older, some of the interest has actually been in archaeology. Now, this is why I like him. See, there he is. He's everything that that my wife would like me to be. (laughs) This is what my wife dreams of. So, And sometimes I've found this to be true as she shouted Harrison in the middle of the night. (laughs) So... If some of the other leaders in the church can deal with that problem, that would be helpful. I like it because he's an adventurer. I like it because actually, as I've got older, archaeology has actually interested me. It's just strange that I've done that. And so I've, I was struck by the theme of those things. But I also have to confess to another thing in regard to Indiana Jones, and it's this one. That, that, that I can be a little bit obsessive in regard to time team. That, and, and particularly on a Saturday morning, they now put it on and it's just one after another. You get one after another after another. And I'm there sometimes, and sometimes I'll go and do a little bit job, then come back, have a cup of coffee, white, watch a little bit of time team. I'm actually waiting for that. I do, this is for all time team. And if you laugh, You are sadder than me because I'm actually waiting for that very elusive English Roman temple that always starts off. See, you watch it. See, (laughs) it always starts off and they scrape a bit of soil away like that. And they go, this is a Roman temple. That makes you watch. At the end, it's a toilet. (laughs) And you've wasted an hour to try and do it. So I just want to say that Yes, I am sad, I do know that, but actually I want to teach you a little bit of biblical archaeology. So all that was rubbish, really. 
The science of archaeology actually emerged in the 19th century. It was thought at that time by the church that archaeology would be the, the downfall of the church. And that's actually what archaeologists said. Now we can dig this up, we can prove you lot as untrue. In reality, many of the historic facts of the Bible have actually been confirmed scientifically through archaeology. So archaeology as a science has proved the Bible. That is extraordinary. And one example of this comes from the city of Capernaum, where scholars agree that the home of Simon Peter has been uncovered. Would you like to see it? Well, don't seem to... What's the matter? There you go. This is it. Here we go. There. I'll tell you what that strange thing is on the other side. Now, what happened is that during the 4th and 5th centuries, it was common for churches to be built over holy places. So underneath... Uh, a church, uh, sort of a church was built over the top of Simon Peter's house. And that's what actually happened. And this is uh, a Franciscan church now, that there's church after church after church that has been uh, built on top of the very house, that, the, the story that you just read. Now, for all those geeks that include me, why is this significant? It is significant because they found in this building here 134 fragments of plaster. Well, come on, be impressed. (laughs) Thank you. They were from the second century and had writings of of the name of Peter and references to Jesus' visit in the house on them. Woof. What did unchurch-going pagan archaeologists come to the conclusion when they looked at these things? They came to the conclusion that this was the house of Peter's mother-in-law and this is where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. They came up with that conclusion. That is extraordinary, isn't it? They said, this is the place, and that's the advert. This place here is where Jesus heals. That's mad. Phil Harmon, I saw you shop that sweet in your mouth. Okay. So let's look then at the healing that took place, not in those ruins, but in the complete house. The, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, uh, Peter's uh, wife's mother, is the third in a series of three that are strung together by Matthew, in which Jesus shows uh, concern and compassion for the people around him. And what we can draw from that is that Here we have the Son of God meeting different people at different times and showing compassion. And I want to suggest, no, I would like to say that that has not changed, that Jesus has the same compassion for you right now as he did for those people then. So in chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, we read that Jesus heals uh, a leper, the leper, is in agony, coping with uh, an incredible uh, skin disease and cries out to him. And Jesus 
heals him. He cries out in his agony. Chapter 8, verses 5 to 15. Do you remember this? The centurion comes to, to Jesus and just says, look, you know, there's a little one in my family who's sick. Look, I'm just a centurion. I'm, I'm unworthy of you coming to my house. I recognize you are, who you are. If you just say a word, my little one will be healed. And Jesus said, okay, it's done. It's just done. How does that work then? Just done. But you think of the, the, uh, what it would have cost that centurion to go to this person, Jesus. But he did. Because at the cost was this, just this little one. that He did not know what to do. And sometimes with sickness, you know, we don't know what to do. So you go to Jesus. And the last one, which is this one, uh, that we've read here in chapter 8, Jesus heals the woman of a, a fever. And it's interesting to note these three healings. The first one was in the, in, as a request to a shout. The, the second one um, was different uh, in, the, in the sense that he, the, uh, it was someone else's request. And the third one was not in res- response to any uh, request. So they were all different. So if you're sick, it doesn't matter how you come. It matters that you come. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are, what has brought you here, how long it's been. It just matters that you come and let Jesus meet with you. And first, what we do is that we see that Jesus enters Peter's house. And it just says, he entered the household and then it says, he saw. He saw. And sometimes we can just pass that over. But if you think about this, Jesus had embarked on, on quite an extensive and, uh, ministry. He was busy. He was just popping in for maybe a, a, a wash and something to eat. And he was going to go on his way and, and do more of the stuff, you know, preach to, to people uh, and, and, and do all that sort of stuff that he was doing. So he was busy. This was a short break. He was going to be busy. And he walks in and he sees this sick lady and he just stops just saw and i don't know whether you've ever been uh sick but you know sick sickness can be ever so lonely sometimes you can feel as if no one feels like you do that you're just this one that is i don't know the odd one out that everyone else is all right. You're the only one that's sick. And I, I don't know. I mean, these days we, we sort of take to our beds, don't we, upstairs. And that's even worse because people come in the house, don't they? And then they go again. And then somebody else tells you what went on. And it, it, it's that sort of real isolating sort of feeling. Please hear this. Jesus saw. Jesus noticed. I want you to hear this in regard to your sickness. Jesus has your attention right now. He has your attention. He knows. He's seen. He's already seen. Then it says that Jesus touched a hand. In doing so, he broke three uh, public taboos. The first one was that he touched, he touched a woman. He shouldn't have done that, 
but he did. The second one that we know that this was the Sabbath, we know that through other accounts uh, in, the, in the Bible, in Mark, and uh, he shouldn't have touched a sick person uh, on the Sabbath, so that's not going to go down too well. So not only has he touched uh, a woman, he's touched somebody on, the, on the, uh, the Sabbath. And the third one is that he was forbidden by the rabbis to touch anybody with what is described a fever. So basically he'd committed all the possible uh, crimes that you could do all in one. It's sort of a bit like me, really. If I open my mouth, I'm not just going to say one mistake. They're all going to come out, which is exactly what happened uh, to Jesus. But it clearly says that he's prepared to do this. Here is the Son of God. Here's some things that he should not be doing. And Jesus says, no, the sickness is greater than these stupid laws that we have got. And I'm going to extend my hand, and despite what people think, I'm going to touch you. And I just think that is why, do you know this same Jesus? This is the Jesus whom we worship, who we have worshipped. He, he just says, look, let's get rid of those silly little things. I'm just going to touch you right now. Can you imagine how Peter's mother-in-law would have felt at that point? She probably would have been quite confused because she knew the laws. But nobody was going to touch her. Will you sick woman, just go over there and be sick. And Jesus goes, no, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to touch you so that you can feel reassured by me that is wonderful the fever was actually a serious one in in what we might call ancient days fevers were not understood as a symptom that's just for you jonathan just a little bit of technical stuff about doctors i'll move over because i'm well out of my depth Uh, uh, and uh, but as a disease in itself thus matthew simply calls it a fever however It was probably a fever caused by something uh, like uh, malaria that was common uh, in the region at the time. And the language uh, in the Greek uh, uh, for lying sick with a fever is much more graphic. It's in the form of uh, the word uh, ballow. Now, the Greek word for ballow is, is I throw. So if I bowled uh, a cricket ball uh, uh, at you, you would miss it and I would hit the wickets because I am an excellent English bowler and you are a rubbish Indian cricket player. Um, if, I, if I ballow you, and it go, there we go like that, that is the, that is the sort of picture I, I throw. And it literally means that Peter's mother-in-law was thrown down with a fever. Now, some of us have known that, haven't we? Suddenly, we we are all right, everything's okay. Steve, you'll now know what I'm talking about here. Uh, And suddenly, it is just as if we got thrown down with it. It just literally, it overtook us and it threw us down. It completely uh, incapacitated her. And that was what we're dealing with here. That sort of... uh, intensity and then it says and Jesus touched a hand and the fever 
left her. The disease in her body, it, 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 the way he did caused cause the, the fever to just flee. So, and it was so complete. It wasn't partial. It wasn't, we'll come back away in three or four days and we'll see how you're doing and we'll continue to pray for that. No, it completely went. Such was, such was the impact of this healing that it tells us in, those, uh, in, in the story that, there were, that she recovered to the point that she began to serve Jesus. And I want you to hear me in regard to this. Because sometimes what we have in our day an issue that healing is the big issue. If we can get healing, then what we can then we can move on a little bit level. We've we've got church and now we've got to add these signs and wonders to us and all that sort of stuff. And it has become quite a big thing. So you can get healing ministries, people that go around and do that sort of stuff. And you can get people that will flock to these things. In fact, you know, I've been in meetings from small to large where these things have happened. But I would like you to hear the main purpose of you being healed. And that is that you get strength to serve him. It is about what you do in regard to him. It is never just that you get your healing, Peter's mother-in-law, but she got up and served him. And that is, the, that is a key moment. The purpose of you being healed is so that you can give glory and serve the King of Kings. Basically, it ain't about you. It's about him. What we also find is that there is a healing of the many. At sunset, the crowds begin to bring many who were oppressed by demons and healed, and he heals all that were sick. Now, it's quite clever because they'd waited until the Jewish Sabbath had finished. That's about six o'clock. So you can imagine, we can't do anything yet. Rumor had gone out that Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law and they're all sitting waiting for six o'clock. It's sort of waiting. I don't know whether when you were little and you always went to Auntie Sissy's or Auntie Phyllis's, they always had one of those clocks that chimed. Why well, you can imagine in Capernaum right now is a load of people that are waiting for a six o'clock chime. And at six o'clock, they're off to, uh, to the mother-in-laws, um, Jesus, uh, to Peter's mother-in-laws. So they bring all these people to Jesus. And now he's got to do all this in the dark <laughs> instead of the light. And uh, I want to ask you a question. What would the many have looked like? When the many are, are, are walking across or being pulled or dragged or whatever, uh, you might have been pulled or dragged to this meeting. What would the many uh, look like? Well, I guess we can just apply some imagination here. And if I'm wrong, something will happen above me, okay? Let's try this one. I guess there would have been those people in there that somebody have said, this guy Jesus is healing you, why don't you come over? And they'd have said, no, I'll be all right. You know, just give me two or three days. I'll be okay. And somebody said, no, I insist. And you think, oh, so I'm going. There would have been somebody there, some people there, in this many, that would have been extremely serious. Very, very serious. And somebody must have said, this is our only hope. 
We've tried everything. Everything that we can do, we have tried. We've heard of this bloke. Why, why don't you come and let's, let's, let's see what he can do. And they probably said something like this. You know, I don't know whether I can do this. I don't even know. Look, we will get you there. So you've got people that, you know, it's just a sniffle. You've got people that are right. And now I guess if we can, we've got people in the middle of, of that sort of thing. So you must not disqualify yourself because your sickness is too minor or that you've learned to live with it or that you feel it's too big because it didn't seem to matter to Jesus because what it clearly says and he says he healed all that were sick he didn't qualify that he just did it and you read how he dealt with that it says that he cast out the spirits with a word which give you an idea of the power available. Does that encourage you? Sickness, gone. You know, that's the thing. You can see that. Another example of the power that is being used here. Not, not my power, but his. Just at the end of that chapter that we're looking at, Jesus uh, causes um, the demons possessing uh, two men to leave them and enter a herd of pigs. And he just says to them, go. Just one word. And they're free, completely free. This is the power that is available at the fingertips of the Son of God. It's exactly the same power used here as when God says, let there be light. And there was light. So in creation, he says, let there be. To these, he just says, go. And both are done. So let's look finally then uh, at the purpose of what Jesus did. We've looked at that. In one sense, we could say that Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons because he had compassion. Matthew 14, verse 14 says this. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. I want you to just think about this for, for one minute. This is the, the creator of heaven and earth. This is the creator of everything good. And we had seen right at the very beginning, Garden of Eden, uh, Satan enter the world, uh, enter into the Garden of Eden, and sin, because of that, enter the, 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 the history of mankind. And because of that sin that entered into the world, it meant that men and women would die, it meant that men and women would live with sickness. Some of the sickness that we have is just because we are fallen people. We know that, don't we? We know that the, it just doesn't work quite how it should do, does it? You know, why is that? You know, why, why is that, that sort of stuff? You know, when I played badminton with this young guy over here, the, the mind wanted to get to the shuttlecock, but the body just didn't quite get there. You know, that it's just, we know that, don't we? Here he comes, I can get that. No, I can't. Why is that? Because I'm 53 and he's 20-something. It's just like the body is rubbish. And we know that. 
So Jesus comes on the scene and he walks through the streets of the place that he created, and particularly in Capernaum and other villages. And what it says is that he had compassion upon them because he saw what Satan and the consequences of sin had done. And he looked at these people and he just looked at them and he thought, I can't believe this. And, and he felt for the way that they were living and, and the agonies that they felt. And he must have thought in his mind, it was not ever created to be like this. So he looked at them and thought, no, this was not how I created them to be. I created them to, to live well and healthy and, and look at it. And, and now they're not. And, and he feels for them and he's walking through the streets and he's watching the people. And it's breaking his heart to see what sin and man has done. And that certainly is one reason why Jesus healed. The main motivation in Scripture given here as to why Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons or performed any kind of miracles was actually to reveal something of who he was. The purpose of healing is to point to him, which we've said. See, healing is not about what happens to you. It's about who he is. It's about proof of that he is the Son of God. To them, they were looking for a saviour that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And this was about proof of who he was. And if you're healed, it's still about who he was. And if you're not, it's still about who he is. It's still about that he is God. You can see that Matthew chapter 9 Jesus heals a, a, a paralytic guy and then actually has a debate about, well, what's greater then, to, to forgive your sins or, for, or to, uh, to heal your sick? What is all that about? It's because he's saying to them, look, do you know who I am? I can do both of those things. It's about pointing to who uh, I am. Matthew chapter 8 and 17, it says that Jesus... He healed the sick and cast out demons in order to fulfill, right at the very end, uh, um, something that we read from Isaiah 53 and verse 4. And Matthew is clearly sort of saying, look, the, the healings, the oppression stuff that we dealt with there, this is because this points to who he is. This is the guy that was prophesied. This is about him. Now, whenever in the New Testament writers wanted us to reference a particular section, they're not like us. They didn't say, and, and Jesus didn't turn and say, no, in Isaiah 53, verse 4, he didn't have that. Um, they just had to quote it. It's us that have put chapters and verses uh, into the Bible. Instead, they would just read something, and they understood when they were reading it, that the people who were listening to it would have understood the bit that went before and the bit that went afterwards because they understood the way that the Old Testament was structured. So when Matthew is, is saying in his book, look, this is to fulfill what he said here, they would have gone, oh yeah, I remember that. That's when he said this and when he said that. And that was exactly what was happening at that point. Matthew uses Isaiah 53 not only 
so that Jesus might be shown as the one who heals, but that actually that Jesus might be revealed as the Saviour, the Messiah. You can see this in depth uh, later on in Isaiah 53. It's used in 1 Peter 2 verses 21 to 25. It says this, For you, this is a New Testament, but quoting the Old Testament, for to you, for sorry, for to this you have been called, because Christ has also suffered for you, a leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in, ter- in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and we might live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. What is the point of Isaiah 53? Why is Peter using it there? And why is Matthew using it here? Why are they using the same verse? Isaiah 53 points forward in the Old Testament to the death of Jesus, who would bear our sins in his body on the tree. The healer is the saviour. That's the point. What's the bigger point? What is the bigger point about that reference that Matthew is being quoted in the context of the healing that we read? The bigger point is this. It is more important than you ask the, uh, it's more important than uh, that you get saved from your sins and that you see that Jesus died in your place on the tree and that you can live for righteousness than healing. That's it. The bigger miracle is in regard to your future in regard to heaven and hell. That's the bigger miracle. So don't be healed today, which Jesus graciously will do, and miss the person healing for you. Don't do that. Please don't. The one healing you died for you, dealt with your sin, so that you can know him, have your sins forgiven, receive eternal life, and have a relationship with him for the rest of your life. And that is the wonder about sickness. The wonder about sickness is that, yes, Jesus heals, but one day, for those that have had to live in this world, there will be a new body in heaven that is promised to you. We'll come to that right at the very end. I just want to do one more thing because Matthew is showing that Jesus is also announcing to principalities and power of this world that he's king, that he's the boss and that he's come to sort some things out here. And this little house that we looked at actually was a major battlefield in regard to Satan and in regard to Jesus. And church, look, You know, because you have heard me say this, 
you know, that, that I feel that I'm committed to pray for the sick <laughs> as long as I have to uh, until we see God move. And why am I doing that? Because some of it I've realized there's a battlefield in my own mind for this. It's in the Bible, but I'm not doing it. So I've got to overcome a personal battle to pray for the sick. Now, boy, I want you to know that right now my head is in battle, okay? So uh, it just is. (laughs) And actually, just now talking to, to the church, church, you know, don't you, we should be doing this more. And you know the battle for this. You know this. And the ultimate battle is not that we do it in here. It's actually that we do it out there. So my thing is, let's conquer it here and then let's go out and pray for the sick. Let's do that on the streets because that's what it was designed for. It was designed for houses. You know, please come in, sit down, pray for the sick. So it's a battlefield. But the other side of that battlefield is this. I think Satan is really grumpy right now what we're doing. I think I have upset him big style. And I don't care one fig. So I've upset you. Pa! You know. I, I just think it's like... I mean, so when we do this, we are... He's really upset. He's got strop on real now. He's you know, sucking a thumb and all that sort of stuff. Right now. Why? Because we're doing this. So I think, tough luck, mate. Get on with it. Why is this so much of a battlefield? Let me try and explain this. Sickness and death were not a part of the original creation. (coughs) Sickness and death will not be a part of the new creation, heaven. Sickness and death are a result of sin, which Satan brought into the world. And Jesus came to defeat Satan and break his power. So when we see God come, Satan gets upset. So we're in the middle of a battlefield right now. But this is the way that I want to describe it to you. I know this is a rather old illustration, but it's all that I could think about at the time. I think what we're going to do today in praying for the sick is is firing some massive shots over the bow of Satan's ship announcing to him that the war pal is over your time is limited these miracles point forward or did uh, to the death of jesus on a cross where sickness where sin where demons and death is finally defeated and he is nothing but a wounded animal spoiling our party One question is this, because you might ask this question. Why then didn't Jesus remain alive, eliminate sickness generation by generation, deal with evil generation by generation, which just harass humanity in history? And it's simply this, because the Bible describes him as the greatest physician. And in the finest tradition, Jonathan Burroughs of medical science it's no good sticking a plaster on it, is it? The best thing that you can do is heal the problem. And you heal the problem by dealing with sin. That heals the problem. 
So he came, yes, to heal, but primarily he came to deal with the issue of man's sin. So yes, it's a bonus, but he came to deal with that problem. And Jesus dealt with the, the root cause of sin. John 1, 1 John 3, verse 8, said, The purpose the Son of God was manifest is that he might destroy the works of the evil one. And the reality is that healing miracles and deliverances in that and even now just point to Satan and to us that Satan is defeated, is a defeated foe. So, before we pray, healing is a demonstration to an unbelieving world who Jesus is. It reminds Satan who the boss is and that he has lost the war. And they are just small samples of what will be on a new heaven and a new earth. So why don't you let the Saviour demonstrate his compassion? Let me just read to you this, and then we'll pray. Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice. From the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Ooh. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Okay. What does that look like when God meets with man? How does that work? What does it mean when man meets with God, when the two dwell together? Here it comes. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know whether you've ever done that point where you just get to the point where tears hurt. Some of you know that, don't you? I've cried to the point that they hurt. And he says, this is what it's like when God and man come together. I will wipe every tear from their eye. And the next consequence, and death shall be no more. What is the biggest obstacle in your life? Do we have carrots or cauliflower? Actually, underneath it, no, it isn't. The biggest un spoken thing in our world is death. And here's what's on offer through Jesus. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, hear this, nor pain anymore. Isn't that wonderful? Nor pain. 
Some people live with pain, you know, all their lives. And Jesus says, no more. And then he says, look, because the former things have passed away. It's a wonderful place to be in. It makes heaven great, doesn't it? Oh dear. My goodness. So we'd like to pray uh, for the sick. Uh, is that what I do? Or what do I do? Do I just do that? Yeah, I can do that. I'd like to pray for the sick. I'd like to do this two, two ways. What I'm going to do is if you are sick, then I'd like you to just come forward. And then I'm going to ask some people to come and stand behind you and pray. And, then I, and, and while they do that, I'm going to pray. So we're just going to make it quite simple. I'd like to say at this point, I have no special powers. Okay? So this is the point. Are you ready, Tom? In a minute, we're going to pray for the cold, okay? So in a minute, you can come with me, Tom. Mum, we're all right. We've de- we did dealt with this while you were in the loom. Okay. Just so if you're thinking, what on earth is he talking to my son about? He told me that we got a, got a cold, and I said, at the end, I'm going to pray with you. Is that all right? Okay. So what I'm going to do is we're going to do, do that. But I also want to do another option. Uh, it's just a simple option. If you would like to know a little bit more about Jesus, when we've prayed for the sick, I'd like you to come and uh, just stay over here and we'd like to share that a little bit more with you. Okay, so here we go. If you've come here and you are in the category of, of minor ailment uh, to, to serious ailment, I'd like you to just come forward here right now. So if we can do that, that'd be wonderful. Here we go. Somebody's got to do it. Thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic.